Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good morning. Uh, This is a reading from Revelations chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He wiped away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. In the uncertainty of our times, it feels, God, sometimes like we can't find you, can't see you, where you are working. And so we ask, God, that you would show yourself here this morning. May we see your face, feel your warmth as we worship and love together in this community. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The feminist in me. Finds John's attempts at subversive metaphors in this passage a little, uh, not my fave, kind of problematic. The idea of a woman getting dressed up for her man reeks of heteronormativity and stinks to high hairdos of the patriarchy. This woman who is supposed to represent you and me, the bride of Christ, prepares herself for the male gaze And she is our image of humanity preparing for God's reign to begin. And so John of Patmos attempts to arouse romantic kind of tingly feelings you get when watching 16 Candles or To All the Boys I've Loved Before. This is the community of God preparing for God's reign to be realized with bubbles in their tummies and giggles in their throats. But it's more than that because metaphors are difficult and beautiful and complex and necessary. Metaphors are our limited attempt to describe an ineffable God with our human language. That's why you may have noticed during Amy's introduction or when we do the Lord's Prayer later, we kind of toss up these titles for God 
attempting to understand our God a little bit better. God is father. And yet God is somehow not father because God didn't contribute semen to make us. God is mother because God birthed us into creation. And yet God is also not mother because God did not feed us from God's breast. These are our human attempts at articulating our relation to an awesome and all-encompassing God. So God, John of Patmos does this for us. He talks about this bride adorned for her husband, preparing with loving care. And do you know what it's like to be a person preparing for their spouse? You're kind of stroking lotion all over your body. You're observing the angles of your face in the mirror, brushing your hair so that it kind of crowns your head like a halo. This bride anticipates this long-awaited moment that will be joyous, surrounded by ones her heart loves best, and it will be shared with a toast of champagne at the end. This is the metaphor of us for God, and yet it is also not fully who we are. Because a bride or a person adorned for their spouse is actually not really all that beautiful or romantic or lovely. Have you ever thought about that? Because maybe I'm speaking for myself in this, but when I was a bride being prepared to be adorned for someone else, I was scared shirtless. I mean, I didn't have a shirt on. I was wearing a dress, but I was scared out of my mind because also I was adorning myself to be prepared to share my life with another person, to share a bank account, maybe someday with another person to file taxes together with another person. And I was scared out of my mind. And so we had rented this lovely hall because I don't know if you know this, but weddings are expensive. And so we rented a hall rather than a church to host the celebration of these two lives becoming one that sounds really terrifying as someone who is fiercely independent. And we met in the basement, me and my whole wedding party, which was way too many people, but we were all surrounded, crowded, and they were just staring at me, smiling, giddily, and I just stared, smiling, worriedly. <laughs> and then we were in the basement, we had to ride up this elevator to get to the hall where I was going to say, I do, and this other person would say, I also do for the rest of forever. And so we ride up the elevator and because there were so way too many people in this wedding party, we're standing in this tiny cramped little hallway and there's no room for the bride to stand. And so she's standing in the elevator kind of holding open the doors so that she doesn't get lost. And this wedding gets derailed because she doesn't show up, but also just to brace herself because what the heck are we doing? And then the music starts to play. And these lovely human beings that my heart loves best start walking down this short aisle towards this person whom I will commit my life to. And I keep holding the elevator doors open, hoping with all hope that this will happen, that I will be able to say the words. And all of a sudden, it's not tingly bubbles in my stomach. It's not giggles in my throat, but it's a little tingly in my nether regions. And all of a sudden, I look up at my father and mother who love me so dearly, and I cross my legs a little tighter, and I say, I'm going to pee in my pants. And my father, knowing that this is a big moment, that I am not here a bride adorned for her husband for this one moment, but a bride prepared to say yes to this life that will be complicated with this other person, coolly pulls out of his breast pocket a handkerchief. And I so graciously and beautifully 
adorn the rest of my body with that handkerchief so that I will not pee in my pants walking down that aisle. Only a little. Because the metaphor of a bride adorned for her husband is actually beautiful and so complicated. This is why metaphors are limited and can't explain the fullness of God's character, can't explain the fullness of our character. We, the people of God, are that bride. But we are also not always beautiful and perfect. We, the people of God, are also citizens of that city. We are the stones that structure to construct that city, formed and fashioned out of that cornerstone. In our anticipation of God, we carefully care for creation, but sometimes we get a little nervous and don't know how to do it. We attempt to build a just society, but somehow, sometimes we forget what it is we are there for. We bring people from the margins closer to the center to honor their humanity, and sometimes we fail to honor their humanity. We, the people of God, are a bride adorned for her wedding. But God's kingdom is actually not anticipation of wedded bliss. Bless you. God's kingdom is also a marriage. A marriage and a uniting of love and mercy and justice for the whole wide world. God's kingdom is the commitment of the long uniting of lives, of the complicated mixing of schedules and shared goals and sacrificing the self for the good of the unit, developing rituals and celebrating meaningful events together. God's kingdom is not the one-time best party ever, but it is a life lived together with God and with God's beloved community. And this marriage, friends, it's actually already started. You You said I do maybe in your baptism commitment or in your commitment to be a member of this church, but this committed relationship is already in progress. The passage tells us God comes to dwell with creation. And some translations say, and then God sets up in the neighborhood. God comes to live among us. Heaven is not some far off space where we go when we die, but heaven is the act of God's righteousness and justice taking full shape in our present existence. See, God says, I am making all things new. In the Greek, this is in the present tense. God is currently and actively making newness in our midst. Our earthly realm and our earthly bodies are already heavenly and will be even more so when God gets everything God wants. Gone are our ideas of this old heaven and earth as separate spaces. Through the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, the newness of creation becomes intertwined. Like from Genesis to Revelation, they get tied up with one another. So this birth is not actually the birth of a new perfect baby, but it is the scrubbing and the cleansing and the preparing so that God's fullness can be realized. It is the returning and restoring to the garden that has always been, that was there in the beginning. I don't know about you, but over the past few weeks, I have been in a state of like brief nihilism, <laughs> uncertain of the future, and being lulled into the sleep of cynicism. Over the past few weeks, the reality of goodness and joy, the trail of my following in this committed relationship with God has gone a little cold. I can't find my way through the darkness sometimes. The world feels really messy and crowded and sweaty and overrun. 
thanks to greed and consumption of some of the biggest corporations, the swirling chaos of the seas persists and the seas rise in our ever-warming world. Thanks to the fear of gender empowerment and gender expression, our siblings of faith, those who are transgender, but also those who are intersexed, gender non-conforming, gender fluid, gender none of your darn business, our gender siblings face further discrimination, not only from the powers that be, but also when they get an ID, when they go through the TSA check, when they seek health care, or when they just seek to live their lives on the CTA. The reality of hate and anti-Semitism and death has crept into our languages, but also into our mailboxes and into our churches and into our synagogues. In the past few weeks, the promise of mourning and death and crying that will be no more has felt like sometimes a fantasy, I wonder, or naivete about a God who commands the world and causes mountains to move. But also, the work of this long-committed relationship to God is this work that we will not be seduced by cynicism. We will not be lulled to sleep by inactivity. But this long, committed work of love to God and love to neighbor is saying, I will wake myself up, reminding myself that God is good, that this world belongs to God's because God created it so, and that God has this world in God's hands. The covenant between us, God's people, and the creator of the universe is a promise that we will keep working faithfully committed to the long work of justice and righteousness among us. It's a promise to not give up working because God has not given up on us. The power of this metaphor of marriage and of committed relationship, working together with a God who commands cities to descend and to whom we contribute the newness of relationship, newness of creation. This is an apocalyptic vision, which simply means the revealing of God's goodness in the world. This is the power you and I have, is to reveal God's goodness in the world through our being, our action, and our continued proclamation that God is not done. So that when bombs are thrown in the mail so casually and threaten the lives of all who touch those delicate packages, those and of those who are critical to the people in power, we say we are not frightened into silence because our God says, no, I believe the voices of my people, God says. We remember that our God hears the voices of those crying in the wilderness, sees the pain of the fearful and the sexually violated and the perpetually bleeding. God hears them, hears their demands, and God heals and restores. And so we know that we hear our fellow citizens, that we make space for the multiplicity of voices in God's kingdom because God gives a darn about what they have to say. And when our transgender and gender non-conforming and gender fluid and gender get the heck out of my way siblings, when they fear that they will be written out of existence, forced to live a life that doesn't reflect the way they were created, our God says, Mm-mm, no, 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 no. I don't celebrate life like that. And so we proudly say our God judges by the evidence of the fruit of one's life. And when one of our trans siblings is more fruitful, has become more vibrantly alive because they are able to identify how they are fully have been made, we celebrate this because this is God, God's goodness. So we call our legislators, demanding that they pass legislation to protect gender, uh, the gender spectrum of existence. 
We also plug into our phones the trans lifeline in our, so for emergencies because we know that trans lives matter and sometimes they need a little bit of help because God celebrates the diversity of existence because God is fluid in God's existence, three in one and one and three. And then when large acts of violence ever happen, when one of the largest acts of violence to ever happen on American soil to the Jewish community happens in our backyard, God says, no, these are my people. I am their God, and so we remember. These are our siblings of faith, our relatives from Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and David and Bathsheba. These are our people. We are theirs, and they are ours. And so we mourn with those who mourn, but we also rage against violence with those who rage. And we educate ourselves about anti-Semitism all around us. And so we reject this subductive myth that God's kingdom will happen overnight. Because when we get the news that our world might end if we don't take care of it in the next 12 years, we don't say or fall into the slumber of there's nothing left to do, but we say, we know that our God says, mm, I can fix that. And so we say, God, this is your world. You have created it. It is yours. We are yours. And we have the ability to contribute to the change and the newness of this creation. We know and trust and commit to this long process of daily, faithfully living through small and big action that contribute to the kingdom. Small and big action. Because us, we're not alone as the spouses of God, but that's the problem with the metaphor is there are multiple spouses of God. Multiple spouses of Christ contributing to God's reality on earth as it is in heaven. Will you pray with me? Mighty God, in you we know the power of redemption. You, God, stand among us in the shadows of our time. You do not leave us alone, but you come to dwell with us and to get mixed up with us. As we move through sorrow and trial in this life, uphold us, God, with the knowledge that this is not the end. That on the final morning, when you, in the glorious presence of your risen Son, present yourself, we will share in Jesus' resurrection, redeemed and restored to the fullness of life, forever freed to be your people. Until then, God, we commit ourselves to you because we are yours. We belong to no one else. We are yours. Amen.